Protestants worship God through their spirit-filled worship services, fellowship, and Bible studies. Catholics worship God through their beautiful cathedrals, liturgies, and sacred traditions. As Protestants and Catholics, we worship the same God, we just do it a little differently. But that's no reason to behave like prideful little children in the Father's house who fight over who God loves more just because he gave us different colored rooms. For there is no distinction between Jews and Gentiles, and there is no distinction between Protestants and Catholics. The same Lord is Lord of all, and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are all God's children, but the enemy has us distracted and divided against ourselves. Meanwhile, he's destroying our families and robbing our children of their future. But it doesn't have to end this way. If we want to beat the enemy, Protestants and Catholics must join forces. But how? Stop talking about how we are different and start talking about how we are the same. We are all the same in our struggles. We are all broken and we all need a savior named Jesus. There are 120 million Protestants and Catholics in America. Imagine if we stopped fighting each other and started fighting the enemy and his evildoers. Imagine if we all pointed in the same direction, back towards God. Imagine if we started voting for laws that align with God's laws. What would happen? We believe that God's hand of protection and favor would heal our land and bring us back to one nation under God. We like this idea so much, we created Broken Catholic, the number one podcast in the world for Protestants and Catholics. Now close your eyes and take a listen as everyday Christians share shocking before and after stories of how they resisted or cooperated with God's plan for their lives and what happened next. Grab your pen and paper because in the next few minutes, you're going to learn how to increase your faithfulness, your fruitfulness, and your fulfillment in God's kingdom. Let's go. Today, my featured guest is Michael Warren Davis. I put emphasis on Warren because that's my last name and he's got it as a middle name. And by the way, my father is Michael Warren. So like, Michael, what are you doing, man? Seriously. Michael Warren Davis is the author of The Reactionary Mind. Uh, He previously served as editor-in-chief of Crisis Magazine and U.S. editor of the Catholic Herald of London. He is a frequent contributor to the American Conservative and The Spectator. Having lived everywhere from Jamaica to Australia, he now lives with his family in rural New Hampshire, USA. You can follow him at his Substack newsletter, The Common Man. The Common Man. Uh, Michael Warren Davis, welcome to Broken Catholic, number one podcast on iTunes for Protestants and Catholics. Go ahead and just take 30 seconds. uh, Fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Sure. Well, uh, thanks for having me, Joseph. It's a real honor. Um, uh, well, I was born in Massachusetts. Uh, I, I did spend a little time in Jamaica doing missionary work. I uh, did a little bit of college in, uh, the, at the University of Sydney in Australia. Um, I've lived in Washington, D.C. and uh, just, you know, working for, for magazines. And I did, I did study there a little bit. Um, I am proudly not the holder of a college degree. I, that, that didn't really pan out. Um, I, you know, when I was, when I was an undergraduate, I got a job at a, at a magazine in Australia and I just sort of drifted away and did that. But I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I had, I, I lived in Sydney working as a journalist for a while. I lived in Washington and I, uh, I hated it. I, I, I like writing, but I hate cities. Um, I hate the kind of life that you lead in a city and uh, I hate the kind of people that you meet when you're a journalist. And so I said, I'm done. And I moved back home to New England and um, I met a nice local girl. I worked, I we got a job with a nice local company. Um, we have a child now and, uh, you know, we, we stay as far away from, you know, the, uh, we've, we've shaken the town dust of neo-paganism off our feet, as Father Vincent McNabb said, uh, and uh, couldn't be happier. So, and now here I am. Well, thank you for being here. And as a non-college graduate, I'd like to say you write as if you have uh, incredible academia. Um, you have an extensive vocabulary, a uh, great use of the English language, and you write provocative and controversial, and that's probably part of what you're known for. I know when I read some of your articles uh, on your blog there on Substack, um, the titles, right? Some of them are catchy. How to be anti-fragile, right? The Christian edition. Um 
why the pro-life movement fails. Like, I want to know that. I want to know that. It's been going on for how many years? Why are we not winning? We have the truth, right? The meaning of anti-whiteness, why liberals pretend to be racist. I mean, that's like a hook, man. Like, I need to know. What is he talking about, this guy? And then as we were saying offline here, as I started to read some of your content, your content, uh, it punches people in the throat, right? Right out the gate. And it challenges their beliefs and it, to a lot of credi- uh, trish- traditional Christians, um, some of your content sounds heretical at first. But if we take the time to read it all the way through, we see, oh, you were just grabbing our attention. You were hooking us. You were pushing our buttons. But then you lead us uh, to, to truth and a different perspective. And that takes courage to do that through the instrument of writing. So I acknowledge you for that. I haven't read through all your articles. Maybe there's some error that I don't know, but you showed up today there's and no said, error. Hey, Joseph, <laughs> it, what'd you say? There's no error. <laughs> there's a, well, right there, there's error right there. Right? <laughs> um, and you said today, Joseph, you know, Hey, if you find error in anything I'm saying, please call me out. I invite that. I want you to change my perspective. And I think that's a very healthy approach. I think we should show up that way as Christians, as long as we're unshakable in our biblical foundational truth. That's where we're unshakable. But our opinions, our perspectives should be shaped and and movable, right? There should be some fluidity there. Rather than, no, this is it. This is what I learned when I was a kid, and this is how it will always be. And, and sometimes we show up um, harsh and heartless without compassion for our Christian brothers and sisters who are in new types of struggles that the church has never dealt with before. right? And we need to love first. And loving first uh, sometimes means being open-eared, right? Got to open our ears and hearts. All right, so let's get into it. Let's go back in time. How did you first experience God? Like experience him in a real tangible way um, where you're like, wow, this is him. Relationship. Not just the rules, the regulations, the religiosity of it all, but like he's my father. Like, wow. Uh, Paint us a picture and tell us that story, would you? Yeah, well, I I grew up in a very a very wonderful, wonderful Presbyterian um, home. And I love my Presbyterian upbringing. I'm very, very grateful for it. Uh, I have, I mean, we could go into why I stopped being a Presbyterian. I had, I had a really, I had a wonderful minister who um, I, I know I, 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 my first dream job was to be a Presbyterian minister. And uh and uh, I had I had many conversations with our pastor, who was like the third generation pastor of our church. His father was our pastor, and his father was our pastor. It was wonderful. Um, but uh, we had a conversation about predestination, and I really struggled with that. So I uh, I, I left the Presbyterian Church, um, and then I I floated around a bit, and uh, but I I guess on my way back from. And the timeline's kind of, you know how being a kid is, <laughs> the timeline is, I find it still a little fuzzy, but I, uh, my parents sent me to Catholic school starting in uh, grade five, because I, uh, you know, it was the best school in the area. It was just a you know, little parish school, but it was, it was very, very good. And um, the education was terrific. And, uh, but I was, you know, my family's religiously was quite, uh, anti-Catholic. Not, not so much my parents, but my grandparents were, were quite anti-Catholic. And uh, so I had no interest in the Catholic Church. And uh, But I also wasn't really getting any nourishment from, um, you know, my, my Protestant church, uh, which I was sort of, I, I was no longer a member of. And, you know, I drifted around, I tried different things. There was a Mormon church in our near our near our home and there was a buddhist sangha and i tried that at some different points and obviously you know i i fell into some worse stuff and but uh yeah there was i i was i explored i tried different things but i remember there was one time in high school and it was after uh it was after i'd sort of gotten mixed up i got mixed up in the dark stuff probably eighth grade freshman year thereabouts it was really bad freshman year of, of high school rather 
And then uh, I remember sometime after that, you know, it was middle of my time in high school, and I went to a Catholic high school too, again, still not Catholic. Uh, but I remember I was at, I, you know, we, my, my, I'm sorry, I'm going in circles here. My mother is Presbyterian. My father is Episcopalian. He's fallen away Catholic who became an Episcopalian. And he, he and I, I used to go to his church when I sort of drifted away from the Presbyterian church. And so he, and I remember he and I went to this, we went to this beautiful um, little Episcopal parish. It's considered the last rural Episcopal parish in the diocese of Massachusetts. But it, our, the priest, uh, the female minister was, uh, was very high church. She loved ceremony. She loved to chant, and it was wonderful. And uh, but I remember, you know, again, this is just my experience. I went up to the uh, to the. I remember going up to the communion rail one day, and uh, my father has a very strong devotion to the Eucharist in the Anglican Church. And uh, I remember receiving the Eucharist and being absolutely underwhelmed. <laughs> and so I went back to my pew and I thought about it and I started to think about all the masses that I'd been to at my Catholic school. And my best friend, Alex, who's now a seminarian, um, had asked our administration to start doing daily mass at, uh, not daily mass, weekly mass at our school chapel. And I used to go because it was, you know, I was Christian. I, at that point, I was, I wanted somewhere to pray and this and that. And, uh, and I, and I loved the Eucharist service that they had. I loved going to mass. I loved what the Catholic church did. I didn't like the happy clappy masses that we had for the whole school, but when it was just one of the elderly brothers, you know, from the Zaverian brothers who was celebrating a low mass, a very quiet low mass. There's only like three boys in the chapel. No one, there was, you know, no one went to mass. It was just me and two other two Catholics. Um, but I remember sitting in the pew at my Episcopal church and, uh, and thinking it's not the same. The, the Catholic Church has something that we don't have. And uh, I was driving home with my dad and uh, thinking about it, and I just burst into tears. And my dad, <laughs> my dad pulled over. He was concerned about me, as he would be. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, I just want to be Catholic. And I didn't it wasn't, you know, it was a kid's thing. It was kind of a kid thing to say. I wasn't really thinking about it, but it was, it just, I, it was like, you know, it was like a child crying for his father. It was like, I want my dad. I want my brother, Jesus. I want, I want Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And uh, I guess I knew enough about the Catholic religion to know what it was I wanted, but it wasn't, it wasn't, I wanted to take the thing, right? And put it in my mouth. I just wanted whatever, I wanted God. I wanted the God that can only be, you know, that can only be had in communion in that way. And uh, not that that's the only way to communion with God, but I wanted that, I wanted that kind of exclusive Eucharistic relationship. And uh, so that was, that was, uh, I didn't become Catholic for years after that. I, I sort of, I, I went back to being uh, an Anglo-Catholic uh, and I, I loved my time. I'm very grateful for my time as an Anglican too. I, I had wonder, made wonderful relationships. I discovered wonderful saints. I, uh, I, I, that's where I learned to pray, where I learned to love God. But that was, that was for me, that was the turning point. Like you're saying, it was like, wow, this isn't just, no, this isn't just a game. You know, this, this isn't, you know, we play with the Ouija board on Friday and then we, you know, go to church on, on Sunday, you know, it's not the same. It's, one of them is evil and one of them is good, but they're both real. And I think to that point, I had just been kind of playing around I, in my own head. I'm not real life, obviously, but that was that was the moment in my in my life where you know I was it, it was sort of sort of like C.S. Lewis's vision of heaven, right? Everything's just realer. Everything's more real. It's like Plato's. He took it from Plato's idea of the forms, where things are more concrete. And so C.S. Lewis talks about you know. The soul in purgatory going to heaven in his and cutting his feet on the grass because it's so much sharper and so much denser and that was uh it was like that it was like bursting through this veil and finding this this whole reality beyond reality this realer reality and uh that was that was in retrospect and i i didn't think much about it afterwards but because i didn't become catholic i didn't follow through for a while but i think that was that was really the turning point in my life. Powerful story. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. What I hear is a soul that is searching, right? You're searching for God as a boy. Um, who is this, 
this God and how do I experience him in a real way, in a relational way, rather than just going through the motions, showing up to my church services, etc. And you felt something, um, you know, in those, those uh, weekly masses that maybe you couldn't put words to, but there was a longing uh, in your heart um, for more. And uh, thank you for that, right? Uh, just to share that. And BC Nation, wherever you are in your faith journey, whether Protestant or Catholic, I think we're all searching uh, for that longing, that deep desire of our heart trying to connect with its maker, with God himself. Um, and if that makes you a better Protestant, God bless you. If that makes you a better Catholic, God bless you, right? Uh, I don't think it's about the labels. I think it's about the pursuing and seeking, earnestly seeking relationship with God. At the end of the day, that's what matters. That's what matters. I don't think when we get to the pearly gates of heaven, God is going to look at us and say, you know, what's your label? Let me see your name tag. Let me see, like, what church did you identify with? Not nah, you got it wrong. Sorry. I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's going to ask, did you love me with all your heart, your strength, your mind? Did you love others as yourself? Did you do those things? Okay. Right? This is, this is what we miss sometimes, I think, when we get caught in the labels. Uh, it's almost an excuse to not work at uh, the most important areas that God commanded us to love, to love others. All right. So uh, let me ask you this. If you were being 100% transparent right now, Michael, which you're already doing, thank you for this. Where have you resisted God the most in your life? I, uh, I, I was, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot lately too, because I think that you, you have these, I don't know that I can give one definite answer, but I'll do my very best. I think you have these moments throughout your day where, you know, you're in traffic and someone cuts you off and you say to yourself, if I could let that go and not honk and not try to overtake him and not get not even get, you know, not even get too mad on the inside, not dwell on it, not fester. I would be a better person. And it's within my power. Well, it's within God's power, but you know what I mean? It's not, it's not like I have to, you know, pick up a boulder and carry it over my head. I can just, it's, I can just let it go. I could just not, I could, it's, it, it requires a negative action. It requires me to not do something, to not fume, to not try to get revenge. And these are these they're, these, they're seemingly small, but these are the little, the little stumbling blocks to, on our way to perfection. And uh, I guess I resist God in everything. I don't, <laughs> I, it would be easier for me to list all the ways that I cooperate with God. It would be a very short list. Um, there, I have these moments throughout the day and I'd say, you know, if you were a saint, Michael, you, would, you wouldn't do X, and then I do X anyway, right? Um, that's the that's the weird that's the weird thing about sin is that you you see it coming. <laughs> it doesn't surprise you. Um, I, again, that's not really an adequate answer, but it's uh, it's it's all it's it's just stuff like that. It's like you know, 10 p.m. Um, you know, it, it would be uh, you know, if you were a saint, you would you wouldn't have you know you wouldn't have that second helping of dinner before you go to bed. You would you know you would just embrace a little bit of hunger. And, you know, and maybe say your prayers and then go to bed and, you know, and, and, uh, and take that very, very teeny tiny penance in exchange for a whole lot of grace. But I don't, you know, I don't do it. I'm a big guy. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's the, you know, I, I don't know. I've never read the, the little way of St. Therese of Lisieux, but I, I have a feeling that's probably what it's about. I mean, just those little, those little things, right? Is that right? Have you read it? I have. Yes. And it is. Yes. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, and it's uh, on top of that, it's offering up those little penances, as you said, uh, throughout the day, just in our daily walk of life, living, uh, offering them up to God, right, alongside the suffering of Jesus, right? And saying, well, Jesus, you went first. You went to the cross. You gave everything to save me. 
the least I could do is this little thing where someone's splashing water on me and I want to retaliate and I'm not going to. So I give it to you rather than picking up that rock and putting it in my backpack and then carrying it. Right? It's like you said, those rocks become stumbling blocks in our life and they, they stack. They stack. So uh, where have you cooperated with God? You said it's a short list. What do you got? I might have been bluffing. I might not have anything. <laughs> it seemed like the right thing to say as I can't be, a, I can't actually be totally depraved, but I might be. Come on. Where are you cooperating with God in your life right now with his plan rather than Michael's plan? The only thing I can think of is I was, uh, when I met my, I, my now wife, uh, I was about to enter the postulancy for the discalced Carmelites. And, uh, and so I, I, I was torn because, you know, I, I was, I hadn't to actually told many of my friends, a couple of them knew, but, you know, I met her when some friends invited us to a brunch and uh, after mass. So it was, you know, it was, it was in the Catholic atmosphere. It wasn't like, I just saw this pretty girl walking down the street. I, you know, we had just been to a Latin mass and then I knew that she went to a local Catholic, very serious Catholic college. And so not only was she, extremely pretty and very charming but i knew that you know there was a compatibility automatically and uh and so i was really i was really torn up and uh it's been a long time thinking about it and i talked to my spiritual director and uh i told him i said i think i think i'm gonna i don't want to go into the postulancy i met a girl and we talked about it and he said um he said do you feel he said you don't feel called to the religious life I said, I said, I don't think so. He said, do you feel called to the married life? I said, I think I might feel called to the married life with Helena. I think I might feel called to marry her. And, uh, and he was like, that's the right answer. Okay. And uh, so I, 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 I don't know if that's, uh, if that's the answer to your question, because, but it's, it's one, it's one way that in which I cooperated with, with God that has uh that has led to a super abundance of graces in my life and just being with her and i don't i don't think she, i hope she doesn't listen to this <laughs> but i mean she is not only again not only a, a good person but a saintly person you know a pious person and uh and she just being around her makes me a better person i think that's Oftentimes, the the case for men, especially, is uh, is you know a good the love of a good woman and being loved by, loving a good woman and being loved by a good woman just makes holds you up to a different standard, and I think that's God's plan for us, right? I think that's God wants that to be the case. That's why that's mm. how He arranged things. So uh, I, I I I I do a little better some days and I do a little worse other days, but uh, you know just about everything that I uh, that I do that's that's good uh i think really really the, the graces are really i feel them coming through my marriage and now that we have a child uh it's it's even it's even more power you know the the floodgates open a little bit more you know mm. and uh and you, with, with a kid especially you need the extra you, you need the floodgates to open a bit <laughs> i think you're right i think choosing a good wife or choosing a good husband is in fact cooperating with God's plan. A godly spouse, a godly spouse, one that raises you up um, and challenges you to be better. Uh, absolutely. What is your number one spiritual habit that helps you grow your relationship with God rather than just being complacent or stagnant? Good question. I think, look, I, and I, I'm saying this, I think it's, I really, I'm really relieved to be on a podcast that is aimed at both Catholics and Protestants. I like being able to talk about this because this is, again, I mean, I come from a Protestant background. My family is Protestant. I love, I love not having to really watch my words when I say, you know, when I say things like this. Um, I, you know, again, I'm a Catholic. I, I, I consider myself a very traditional Catholic. I'm Orthodox. I go to Latin mass, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I love the rosary. I love, 
uh, I love the, you know, the, 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 all the formal prayers that we have in the church. I love the mass. I love that the church gives us these guidelines, but um, I, I, you know, I, I think that the, the two things that if I'm not doing, maybe it's because these things are sort of preset. I, I don't, you know, you, I go to mass every week. That's kind of non-negotiable for a Catholic, but um, I, I notice that my spiritual life really suffers if I'm not having frank conversations with God. And if I'm not, you know, if I'm not kneeling down, you got to kneel. C.S. Lewis talks about this too. I'm rereading C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you can, <laughs> if you can tell, but C.S. Lewis says the posture matters. The posture of prayer matters. You got to kneel. You got to fold your hands. You're in supplication and you got to talk to God. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, if I'm not doing that, if I'm not, and this is especially for a writer, you know what? I spend all day writing and talking and sending emails and giving opinions and things like that. And then it's amazing that I can spend literally all day doing words, throwing words out at people. And then you kneel down and you get ready to talk to God and none of it matters. You're not going to tell God what you think about the situation in the Ukraine. He knows better than you do. You're not going to tell God what you think. Oh, did Pope Francis do this or that right? What about President Biden? He, it doesn't matter. None of that matters when you're talking to God. You say, of course, you say, you know, please, God, bring priests to the Ukraine. Please, God. But you're not going to tell him how. He's going to figure all that out. He knows better than you. And you're going to say, you know, please give President Biden wisdom and, and you know, and help him to make just laws and this and that. Um, and that's that's very important. But you're not going to tell God how to do it. You know, you're not going to say, please tell his priest to reprimand him. That's 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 not how you pray. And um, and I think that, uh, you know, even if even if God didn't exist, I think journalists, writers should have to pray. I think they should make them pray. They should make them get on their knees and fold their hands and talk to the supreme being in the universe and and tell him what they think is important, because it's going to put things in perspective. And uh, and if I and and of course, prayer is more than that. Prayer is more than just me putting things in perspective. I don't want to give that impression. But um, I was just thinking about that last night when I was standing up for my prayers after spending like 10 hours writing. And, uh, but no, if I'm not, you know, if I, if, in, in, in scripture too, I mean, reading the Bible, reading the, especially, you know, the gospel of John, the epistles of John, the book of Isaiah, um, you know, just, just steeping, steeping yourself in, the, again, in that reality that, 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 you know, God isn't the sort of the abstract theory that makes the, he's not, what is, um, who said that apologist? He's a piece of Protestant. He says, it's not the God of the gaps. God is not an explanatory device. We don't need, you know, God's not there to explain how things in the universe work. God is our father. God's there to save our souls, to make it, you know, we, we are here to serve him in this life and to be happy with him forever in the next. And, uh, and, and, to, and to sort of reground yourself in that higher reality through, you know, meditating on scripture, through having those frank conversations with God. Um, that's what's very, that's what, I mean, that's not just very important. That's what's, that's what's crucial to me. Powerful, powerful conversation we're having here with Michael Warren Davis. Uh, you can find him at common.substack.com. Uh, sub, uh, and uh, Michael, we're about to get into my favorite part of the show. Um, but before we do, I want to ask you this. What is your best kept secret, personal secret, uh, for trusting God in those challenging times in your life, those trials, those sufferings, those stretching moments? I don't mean to, I don't, I don't crib everything that I write from C.S. Lewis. Lately, I crib most of it, but um, I'm just, I, I, he I read something that he said uh, in near Christianity yesterday that I was like, yeah, that's, I think that's pretty much it where he says, you know, you, the Chris, the whole point of a Christian life, right. Is to, is to surrender to God. It's to get to the point where we say, I can't do this. You take care of it. Right. But he's, and that's, and that's an important insight in itself. But um, as he points out, you know, before you get to that point where you surrender, you have to try. Um, there's no way to get around that. You can't just go instantly from sinner to saint. There's this intermediary period. It's like this purgatory, right? Um, where we're, 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 we're purging our old, the old self that we were, and we're learning to trust Christ. And, you know, 
the end of the Christian life is surrender, but to show that you want the Christian life, you know, you just have to try to live a Christian life. You're going to fail. You can't save yourself from sin. Um, but to show, but in that, in that kind of reckless desire for Jesus, you, you have to try. You have to, you have to, you have, because that's all you know, right? That's all you know as a worldly is, you know, is my will and what I can do. Um, and so I, I'm not, I'm not quite there yet, but you know, it's, it's kind of, I'm kind of dipping, dipping my toe in the spiritual life and getting to the point where, you know, if my daughter has been crying for two hours straight and I, you know, and I'm just, I, I, I just want to, you know, I want to get up and walk out of the house. Um, and I say to, and I just say to God, I can't keep my cool. It's not going to happen. You have to do it. You have to keep my cool for me. I, I literally can't. And um, that, that moment, and if, you know, I'm sure you've tried, you've had those moments and I'm sure that your listeners have had those moments, but man, it really works. It really works. This happened yesterday. Daughter was crying for literally two hours straight. She, uh, she was just having a bad mood. She was, nothing was wrong. She was totally fine, but she just felt like screaming. And, uh, and I was going nuts. And I just said, I said, God, you got to do it. You got to do it for me. I can't, I can't do it. And so it, I would, I'm not joking. I mean, within five seconds, she stopped crying. She looked up at me. She picked up her little toy dog and she handed it to me. And we played, we played with her toy dog for a little while. And it was it. Um, and this was, I heard this great story. I was in one of that, that church in, in Front Royal, uh, Virginia, where there's a big Catholic community. We went, we went to visit some friends there last year. And uh, I heard the best homily I've ever heard in my life. And this priest was talking about how, uh, how he was, you know, he was, he got up early one day and went into the chapel to do a holy hour. So he, you know, he exposed the blessed sacrament and he knelt down and he was praying. He said, and as soon as he knelt down, a cricket started chirping. And he said, it was just one of those things. I hadn't had coffee. I was exhausted. And I was trying to do this nice thing. For God, right. And, uh, and the cricket was just irritating the heck out of me. It wouldn't stop. And this went on for 45 minutes, he said. And finally, he said, I, I prayed to St. Francis. And I said, St. Francis, I know you love animals. He said, so get this cricket out of the chapel or I'm going to kill it. He said, and immediately it stopped. And the priest said, why didn't I do that before? Why have I been sitting here for 45 minutes torturing myself, wasting this holy hour when I could have just asked God to do it? And, uh, and I just, I loved, I just love that homily. I wish, I wish I could, I remember what church it was and I would write to him and I would, you know, I'd, I'd find someone to publish it so that everyone could read it. I think that was so good. And uh, that's, I mean, that's it. That's, that's the, that's the Christian life. It's just learning to just give it to God. Just make, you just say to God, I can't do this. You have to do it for me. I can't do it. I literally can't do it. BC Nation, what cricket are you dealing with in your life right now? that is irritating you? What rock are you carrying that you refuse to hand to God because it's crushing you? It's crushing your spouse. You're watching it. Michael, I got a call from my wife yesterday while I was at the gym and she was in panic. And she said, our two-year-old daughter uh, locked the door, bedroom door behind her. We just moved into a new home. And uh, locked the bedroom door behind her with my five-month-old uh, son on the bed um, in the room by himself now. And he started crying. And my wife couldn't get in. And we don't have keys. It's those little pinhole door knobs. And we didn't have a tool. We didn't have keys. And she's like, how do I get in? What if something happens? He could fall off the bed. I said, honey, he's going to be fine. We'll work it out, right? And so I, I started providing some resources. Now, I was about a 30 to 45-minute drive away at this point. Uh, and uh, we said a little prayer. And I said, be at peace. He's going to be fine. Go do this, this, and this. And she's like, okay. And then uh, she calls me back five minutes later. She said, uh, I got the tools. I uh, dismantled the door lock. Um but I couldn't uh, get it open and it stuck and I peeked through and Asher just fell off the bed in front of me. What do I do? Right? And she was in tears. And I said, honey, I want you to ram the door right now. Right. And 
it's an emergency situation. And uh, so I heard her on the phone, ran the door once, ran the door the second time, and the door flung open. And she scooped him up, and he was fine. God. Right? And he landed on, uh, we didn't put the bed frames in. Um, we just put the mattresses on the ground, and thank God, because that would cut the fall in half. Yeah. Right? And he landed on the only area of the carpet where there was a towel and a pad. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? And we're like, thank you, God. Yeah. And thank you for his guardian angel. Yeah. To protect my son, right? There was a surrender that needed to happen in that moment for me. Obviously, my wife was dealing with her own. She just visually watched her baby fall and there was nothing she could do about it in that moment, right? So she could, in that moment, take that rock and stack it in her backpack of, I'm a bad mother. How could I have done that? Why did I miss that? Why did I walk out of the room and leave my baby on the bed? And the enemy will use those rocks to crush us, to crush her. And then I also had an opportunity to surrender a rock of like, honey, how could you have done that? That's my son. Like, what are you doing? What were you doing? Right? And she was already punishing herself enough. So there we have those opportunities, BC Nation. I'm sharing a very vulnerable personal story that just happened in my life with you, uh, as Michael just shared one with us, um, to say we have opportunities all throughout the day to surrender the crickets, to surrender the irritations, to surrender those rocks and give them to God and say, God, I don't want to hold this right now. There's too many negative emotions around this. I'm going to, you know think I'm terrible. The enemy's going to use that. He's going to speak lies into me. I don't want to digest and internalize those lies that then separate me from you. Or for me, I could cast judgment on my spouse. Like, well, I wouldn't have done that in that situation and then use it as rocks to punish. Right. And I have to surrender those rocks and come home. Honey, you had a rough day. Everything's fine. You're good. You're a great mother. It was a mistake. It was an accident. No big deal. He's alive. He's good. There's no broken bones. Let's move forward. Right? This is just part of life. So I just use that as opportunities, uh, BC Nation, to invite you into surrendering your own crickets and rocks uh, in your life. I know you're sitting with some right now. Things you just refuse to forgive yourself for. Because you should have done better. You knew better. But why didn't you? Michael brought up some of his. You got to forgive yourself. You have to forgive the person that did you wrong or hurt you or hurt someone you love. And then you have to ask God for forgiveness. All three are necessary for true healing, God's healing to come in. And for you to get that rock removed or for that cricket to be dispelled from the chapel of your heart. All right, Michael, let's go into my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the confession round. As a Catholic, I'm sure you're going to like this. Uh, I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. It's just for fun. It's like a game show. Are you ready? Sure. All right. What's your favorite thing about God? His love. What's your least favorite thing about God? Uh, his love. How do you mean? It's painful. It's very hard. It's very real. I don't mean to sound trite. I, I do think that that's, I think that that's actually true. I, the thing that, the thing that I fight most against is not, you know, I, I think is, is God's love. And it's also the thing that, you know, it's, it's every, it's everything to me. And I guess, I guess, you know, that's the, you know, if you're, <laughs> what's, that's the uh, trying to think of, an example but it's it's the thing that you need it's the medicine it's the bitter medicine and it's you, you know it's it's not it's it itself is not bitter it's very sweet um but you know when you're used to bitter things the sweetness is painful um and it's you know it's purgative god's love is purgative 
it it destroys who you are um, and builds you up into Christ. It makes you a brother of Christ, a fellow son of God. And that's, uh, you know, there's nothing objectively bad about God, but the thing that, you know, that I suffer from the most is, yeah, it's his love. Got it. I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life. It's just part of the human condition. What are you currently struggling with right now, either professionally or personally? Um, well, uh, pro professionally, I'm struggling with um, <laughs> time management. I'm a, I'm a procrastinator. Um, personally, I, I struggle with pride. I always have. I probably always will. This seems to be the cross that God gave me. It's, I think, you know, in many ways, a particularly dangerous cross. But it's, uh, yeah, I'm extremely, extremely proud uh, yeah. What are you most afraid of? I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know how to answer that. I'm not sure. Okay. I mean, the try the, wouldn't the, the, the obvious answer would be going to hell, the devil sin. I think, I mean, I, I think that's true. I, I don't, uh, and then I guess having, you know, having my pride humiliated, right. That's, uh, that's something um, I, uh, we were talking about the, 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 uh, the, the, the little, and I, I mean, I guess this is now I'm just rambling. Um, the, what I love about Lent and I wish that Protestants, more Protestants did that because it's awesome, right? There's Protestants believe in fasting. Uh, but I hope, I hope even at Lent, you know, one of the very, very simple things I do, again, I'm a big guy. One of the very simple things I do is I only eat one portion at every meal. Um, and this is, this is difficult for me. It's, it's, it shouldn't be, but it's very difficult for me. Um, but the amazing thing is, you know, it's, it, it's, it's something that I dread. I dread having to exercise this little bit of self-control. And of course it's, you know, it's, it's, it, God helps you. It, it can be done, but I dread it. Um, but the, what is, what's always amazing to me is that I, you know, I also, when, when I, when I'm eating, when I'm, when my appetite is in control, um, I enjoy the food more. And I said this to someone, you know, the, the thing that I hate the most about being a, well, I, I, I quit smoking last year, but the thing that I hated most about being a smoker was that I couldn't enjoy my pipe anymore. It was an addiction. It wasn't a pleasure. Um, it was something I had to have. Mm. And, uh, and I think that that, and I, in, in one sense, the thing that I dread most is, is that addiction, um, that, that, that ruining things for myself, which is what sin is, right? And C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce says, people go to hell saying, I did neither what I should have done, nor what I would have liked to have done. Because sin becomes something that we don't even take pleasure in, mm. right? The, um, the glutton doesn't yeah. enjoy his food, he just eats. Uh, the, the sex addict doesn't enjoy sex. He just has it. Um, and it's, and sin is dreary. It's not fun. Sin over time consumes us and we become a slave to it. And there's nothing likable about being a slave. Is there? Right. Exactly. What did you spend way too much time doing this past year? Um, procrastinating, checking my emails, doing everything but work. Uh, and I guess worrying about, I mean, you know, book launch we i think we've the the technical reason that i'm here is because my publicist you know arranged this interview and uh, i just spent a lot of time worrying about the book was it good enough was it you know uh you know was was anyone going to read it you know was it a waste of no one no one writes a book to get rich some people do get rich writing books it's very very rare i would have made more money just selling the essays that you know instead of having them as a book i've had uh mark victor hansen on this show chicken soup for the soul co-author he sold 500 oh. million books copies of his books um and he's he became lawyer. very rich uh <laughs> with that but he's an outlier what secret fear do you have about people Ooh, uh i guess yeah as someone that struggles with pride i guess the the fear that they won't like me i'm i'm one of those people that <laughs> that can't abide silence in a uh in a conversation. I feel like mm. if there's, if there's a lull in conversation, it's kind of my job to fill it. And a couple of years ago, we were visiting friends in front Royal, same family. And uh, her, her little brother who was three, I was, you know, we were having, we were sitting around having this conversation and he's 
the definition of precocious. And he said, Michael, Michael, stop. You're clogging up the conversation. And I, lo I loved it. And he was right. And he was right. And he, he and I get along like a house on fire. He calls me Mikey Daves. He, I, he has since he was like two. He's unbelievably smart. He and I, get, and he's like, he's like my little guardian angel. He's right. And uh, yeah, that's what, that's what I fear. I fear, I fear, I fear silences. And I also fear clogging up the conversation. <laughs> now I fear clogging up the conversation and having Nasa pointed out to me. <laughs> that's such a great way to say that. What do you wish you had learned sooner about God? Uh, that's it. I, I wish that I had taken another person that I love who I've been reading lately is George MacDonald. And, uh, and one of the things that he was really strong on was the idea of the fatherhood of God and the son and the, the brotherhood of Christ, right? God is not only our, our savior and our judge, he is those things, but he's our father. And Christ is not only our, you know, our, the, the king of the universe, but he's our brother. Uh, and when we become Christians, when we're baptized, and when we have faith in God, um, we become sons of God and brothers of Christ. And, uh, and you, have to have, you have to have both. I mean, you can't treat Jesus the way you treat your literal flesh and you know, biological brother. Um, you can't treat God the way that you treat your literal sire, right? Your flesh and blood father. But to know that, you know, God, you know, it says, it says in the Psalms, God knit you together in the womb. He made you because he loves you and he wants, he wants you to be there. He likes you. <laughs> you know, he, he wants to spend forever with you. He became flesh and blood and he not only to save you, but because he wanted to share my nature, your nature. He wanted to be with us. And uh, I wish I'd taken that more seriously. Uh, yeah, I really, I wish that I, I wish that I had taken, taken on board in my own heart, the idea that, um, that God, God's not, uh, God's not wasting his time with me. He's not going through the motions. Mm. Um, he's not doing his God thing because he's God and he has to do it. Everything that he does, he does because he loves us. He wants to do it. If he didn't want to do it, he wouldn't have to, right? <laughs> um, he, and he Got can it. do literally anything, and he does literally everything for us. So true. Great reminder. All right, so I'm going to ask you to tighten up the answers a little. Three-second rule, buddy. You're breaking oh, it left right. and right here, left and right. What's a new habit you're going to create this year? Prayer before the crucifix every day. Got it. What's a bad habit you're going to break? Procrastinating. Got it. Pick three words to describe who you are now. A recovering sinner. Pick three words to describe who you were before you experienced God in a real, tangible way. Uh, and, and not recovering sinner. <laughs> and last question. If you could come back to life after you died, look your family and friends in the eye and give them only one piece of advice about God, what would you say to them? Well, I hope that... Uh... It would be the answer that I would give now. I uh, hope that I wouldn't have any misconceptions about God. That was more than three seconds. Uh, I guess I would just say trust him. Yes. Try. Try. Homework assignment. This is a time where you get to give my audience, BC Nation, a homework assignment for this week. What's one action BC Nation must take this week to grow their faith and trust God more? Read the first epistle of John. It takes 15 minutes. And if you haven't done it, it will change your life. Uh, we've heard it read at church, right? But if you haven't actually sat down and read the first epistle of John all the way through, um, you don't, I don't think you really know the epistle of John. Okay. There's your homework assignment, BC Nation. Do you choose to accept it? Uh, BC Nation, if you enjoy this show, go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio right now and write an honest review. Uh, and if I like it, I'll give you a live shout out on the show and, uh, go to brokencatholic.com, brokencatholic.com. You could do a review right there, or you could do it on one of those platforms, whichever you like. Uh, Michael Warren Davis, what's the best way for BC nation to get in touch with you? Uh, well, dude, they can, uh, 
they can check out my Substack. Uh, I think it's the might be just be common man. Com, yes, commonman.substack.com. I think that's right. If they it's Google common common.substack. I don't think so. Ah, that's I, what I have. I'm pretty no sure. Worries. Common we'll have it in the show notes. Okay. All um, right. And yeah, where and they then, get where they get their book, your book if they're interested. Oh, if they Google it, um, it's it's best to order through the Regnery website. I get the most money that way. <laughs> I do have to feed my family. Got it. We'll put all this in the show notes. BC Nation, uh, Michael Warren Davis, thank you for being on Broken Catholic. I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life, sir. Thank you. Likewise, Joseph. God bless. Thank you for having me on. Have you tried absolutely everything and nothing has worked? Have you tried therapy? Have you tried coaching? Have you tried counseling, Christian counseling? Nothing's worked for you, for your spouse. You just want better communication. When you wake up, do you feel like you want to crawl under a rock in the morning time? Is your brain so scattered and foggy at this point that you're not following through with things? You're not keeping your word in the matter. You're letting people down, maybe your own spouse or kids. Do you have way too much on your plate and you're getting more and more frustrated, which is turning into anger? Are you battling addictions right now? Are you an amped up or frantic person with a lot of anxiety and you're off and on a bipolar and depression medicines? If any of these you connect with, then what I do is specifically this. I do not do therapy. I do not do counseling. Those are for people that want to talk about their problems or learn different ways to cope and manage their problems. I don't do that. Reach out to me if you want to get rid of your problems permanently, like be done with the addiction, be done with the medications, be done with the escaping your life because you just feel so powerless in it. If you want those results and you want peace, it's what we all want. We're all chasing it. We had it as kids. We lost it. Life beat the crap out of us. If you want peace, that's what I sell. It's God's peace. So you can find that at josephwarren.net. You can schedule a call with me, complimentary. I'll contribute 30 minutes of my time into your life. We'll get clear on what you actually want. Then we'll see if we're, we want to work together. And that's me interviewing you to see if you're ready. Are you ready to do what it takes? Some people try to come to me, but they're not ready to be coachable. They're not ready to get rid of the problems. Again, if you don't want to talk about your problems anymore and you've tried everything and nothing has worked and you want to permanently get rid of them, go to josephwarren.net and let's see if I'm your guy.